Hello and welcome to Nurturing Resilience. I'm Leisha Nelson. This is a podcast for cultivating connection, belonging, and safety through stories of triumph and post-traumatic growth, sprinkled with a little bit of magic. I am so glad you have joined me. Let's dive into today's podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's podcast. Today, my guest is Alyssa Johnson, and we talk about her journey into the yoga world and her passion with mental health. She is sharing a really personal story of a local yoga studio where her and I live, her training and the lessons and essentially just what happened. And what did happen was beyond what she could have imagined. And it's a really personal story for me to share as well. In this episode, I share little bits and pieces of my own journey. And I don't call my own journey as being in a cult. Although to some people on the outside, and to even those of us that were in this particular community, we joked around and would often ask ourselves, What's going on here? Are we in a cult? And this is the most I've shared about my own experiences. And I I didn't go into much detail. And I was really sitting with if I was ready to share my story. I thought about part of my introduction sharing my story. And I decided not to for a few reasons. One, I don't really want to take away from Alyssa's story and especially her story within the yoga community. And two, I'm just not quite ready. I'm still making sense of all the pieces and my experience and my story is very deeply intertwined with other people, which tends to happen when we come into contact with communities and communities that we get close with. There's often many other people involved, and there's a part of me that wants to share their privacy, that wants to honor their privacy and their story. So just like all the other podcasts, there are a few trigger warnings. Today, Alyssa will be sharing about some sexual assault, and we also discuss a suicide So if either of those are topics that you are not ready or don't want to hear, please be forewarned that we do talk about this in today's episode. I also want to share a little piece around the yoga community. Sexual assault is common. It's really unfortunately common in the yoga circles and the yoga communities. And I wish it's something that wasn't common. I'm really honored that Alyssa was willing to share her story about her own experience, as I know that there are many of you out there that have also probably not only experienced sexual assault, but sexual assault within a community where you thought you were safe, within a community where you are seeking mental wellness and mental health and safety and belonging. And unfortunately, that was destroyed. 
I wish that that wasn't the case within these circles. And unfortunately, within the quote-unquote spiritual communities, this is a problem. Sexual assault is a really big problem within the spiritual communities, and I don't think that it gets talked about enough. So I really honor Alyssa for showing up today, for sharing her story. I honor any of you that have had to share your stories and have had to go through those hard times, just figuring that out and navigating the complexity. There's also a dynamic that plays out in spiritual communities where there's what's called a one-up, one-down dynamic where the guru, quote-unquote guru, is the one-up and the student is in the one-down And this is a really dangerous place. And whether that's happening because of the guru or because of the student, whether it's an unconscious or a conscious agreement, it still is rampant in spiritual communities. So I just want to honor that this is a real part of belonging to any sort of spiritual community is looking at those one up and one down dynamics. And in fact, those one up, one down dynamics play out everywhere. And as I've started to study attachment theory and resiliency, I'm noticing that it's more often those with a disorganized attachment style and those with an anxious attachment style that find themselves in these spiritual communities or cults or situations where there is a one-up and a one-down dynamic. And in no way am I blaming anyone. I'm not blaming the so-called one-up person or the guru, and I'm not blaming the one-down person or the, the student. It's just the dynamic that each person has to work through in their own right as a part of their healing journey. And I do like to speak to it because it is so rampant in spiritual communities. So enough said, I think that's all I'll start with. And we'll start with Alyssa. Yeah, where do you wanna start? just start with how I guess I ended up there Mm -hmm. because I think that's an important part of um, whatever you want to call them groups, cults I feel like those are kind of interchangeable but uh, I feel like how people get in them like from the outside people are like well why would you ever do that or join that or but it's like not what you're thinking (laughs) it's not the perspective you have no I don't think you're ever thinking (laughs) I want to go join a cult which is funny because like I had people that were like that I brought there and were like this looks like a cult (laughs) just because the way the studio is set up it's like a giant spaceship and it's all black and dark I don't know if you ever had been into that space yeah Mm -hmm. um but I think a big thing with these groups is 
people are usually in a place, or speaking for myself at least, in a place of looking for guidance and looking for meaning and help. Um, Because I was raised in the Catholic Church, and so moving out here was basically me, like, choosing something different for myself um, and leaving college to figure out what I actually wanted to do. And so I think leaving that religion and just felt like I was in this place of floating for a while, of no direction, and... The reason I went to yoga was because I was struggling with my mental health. Um, I was having really bad anxiety. I was living with a partner that we were going through a breakup. And I was like, I just need to get out of the house. And I had a friend invite me to a yoga class. And afterwards, I felt just really good. As overall, I was like, oh, well, that made me feel better. And I was resistant to going on meds. I didn't want to get on medication um, or I wanted to try everything before I did go that route. Um, and had, were you leaving the Catholic Church at that time too? Like with all of this happening at once or that was before? Yeah. I, le- I mean, even when I was in the church, I always had like, I don't particularly, I never felt any sense of like connection with it Mm -hmm. like it you know I prayed all the time I did all the things but I never felt a connection to anything okay um and so I don't know if there was like a like as I'm fully confirmed in the church like I could go to church and I could take communion if I wanted um but it just didn't it didn't resonate with me so that was more my teenager years and then going to college being on my own I just slowly stepped away from it you know my my mom would ask me if I was going to church in school but I was always like no we've talked about this like it's (laughs) not for me (laughs) um but she always still tries even to this day um (laughs) asked me to come to church I'm like I respectfully decline (laughs) um so no I think more I see I moved here I think two and a half years before I started doing yoga and I didn't really have any community or friends or I just felt very alone and very isolated and I was kind of starting to create some friendships and community um, around the time that I started doing yoga And then I was just having like really profound experiences, Um, just like releasing emotion, just things were happening and I didn't have words for them. I was like, something is here and something is happening and this feels good and I want to explore this. So probably only two or three months after doing yoga classes, I decided I wanted to do a training. Oh, wow. So that was fast progression. Yes. It was like... You were in. Yeah. (laughs) And I was taking a break from school and this felt like, well, maybe this is kind of what's next for me right now instead of going back to college because I still didn't feel like I knew what I wanted to do because engineering was my track from when I was like a very young child all the way up until I was in college. And then I was like, wait, (laughs) 
I'm severely unhappy and depressed and I don't enjoy this. So I felt like yoga was kind of my, my next thing. And I got a lot of, um, like excitement in something and it had been a while since I felt that. And I had received support from my dad on it, which I was really surprised about because I was nervous to say, Hey, Instead of school, I want to do yoga training. I'm not going to be an engineer. I'm going to be a yoga teacher. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but he surprised me as always because he's, he's very supportive. Um, and said if I do the research and I find out the schools, then, you know, that's something that he would support me in. Which I was like, okay, well, I was, in, I was gearing up for a no. So then I was like, oh, so now I have to, like, actually commit to this. <laughs> this is my sign. I'm doing yeah. it. And so I did a bunch of research, research and there was an overwhelming amount of um, studios and trainings. So I was like, I don't even know where to start. And what year was this? 2018 going into 2019. Okay. Yeah. And like from my experience in the yoga world, that's one of the few ways that the yoga studios could actually make money mm-hmm. was to run a yoga teacher training. Yes. And so that kind of became the thing that every studio did is run a teacher training. It's how they made their money. Mm-hmm. And then before you knew it, everyone was running a yoga teacher training mm-hmm. left and right. Mm-hmm. And that's about that time you're looking at all the different trainings. Yeah, so I basically defaulted. I had I was a, I was serving for a long time in restaurants and I had met someone that had actually just finished their like test out class at the studio and we had exchanged information and so I reached out and was like, "Hey, like what was that training you were talking so highly about?" And so he led me to school of yoga and I liked what I saw on the website and everything and it like you know I felt drawn to it so I was like okay and I set up a meeting and I met with um there was two owners I met with the woman and we had an interview and it felt very um aligned a lot of what she was saying felt very aligned with what I was wanting to do with you know in direction with my life um you know community in connection and so we had the interview and I was like okay I'm gonna do your training this feels good I signed up I think I paid I don't quite remember but I think I paid within that I think I signed up two months before it was supposed to start so I think I'd already paid and she said you know you can take classes here or you know you can just dive in when um, training starts And I had gone to one class there that she wasn't teaching, but her friend was teaching. She was in the class. And then we talked about it after. And she was like, how was that for you? And I was like, that was so different. I loved it. Like, it was dark and the music was loud and there was no mirrors, which I really enjoyed because my first few experiences of yoga were pretty unempowering. Um, I started with Bikram and I just felt very um, insecure so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know these pose names. These There's are big classes. Mirrors everywhere. Yeah, I struggle with looking in the mirror at myself. Mm-hmm. People wearing not a lot of clothing because it's hot. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it was um, 
an uncomfortable environment. So I liked that. It was dark, the lights were low, the music was loud. I feel like I could get out of my head, um, be in my body. And then a few months went by. Uh, I think it was a week and a half out before the training was supposed to start. And all of a sudden I get an email from the other owner, the male, and he's like, we need to set up a meeting. And I was like, wait, what? I already did my interview. But he was on sabbatical or was out of town traveling traveling in India. So I was like, okay, well, maybe that's just how they do it. Maybe I'm supposed to meet with both. She kind of had mentioned that he was out of town. So she was running things while he was gone. And so we had the meeting and everything went fine. I was like, okay, I'll see you in a week. And then I showed up the first day for teacher training. You know, got my mat and my journals. I was so excited. <laughs> You know, because I hadn't been in school in a few years, so I was like, I'm going to school again. It felt cool <laughs> for something I'm interested in. And uh, then it was just him. She wasn't there. And so I was like a little bit confused. Were there other students? Uh, students, yes. Okay. But the woman I'd met with, so the yeah. person I assumed was like part of the trainings, um, wasn't there. And I don't know why I never like, thought about that anymore, but she was just like out of the picture. And he never addressed it or there was never, there was no conversation about like, we're splitting up and I'm going to take over and, you know, there was no dialogue about that and I just never bothered to ask. Um, So I always thought that that was weird, like a weird start, Mm -hmm. Um, but I just kind of ignored it. (laughs) And then training was about, I want to say four months long. So it was every other weekend for, I think, 10 hours a day. Very intense. Yoga teacher 10 to 12, are, something like that. They're yeah. not small. No. And I think my group had, I want to say 12 to 15 other people. And then the way the 200 hours ran, the 300-hour teacher trainings, there's like usually one or two students that are doing their 300-hour that will like be a part of the 200-hour mm-hmm. as a part of their 300-hour so that I was a little bit confused on the dynamics at first. So I was like, who's running what? Like, what is your role in this? There was like never any like dialogue or clarification of anything. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like, okay, I guess I'm just going to trust that like whatever, you know. Well, and there's nothing to compare it to. Cause exactly. Because you've never done another yoga teacher training. No. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah. Maybe this is just how things are done. Exactly. Um, and so... That went on course as normal. Um, I got my certification and then I got, um, I was asked to teach like a a class to be basically like um, interviewed or I guess interviewed based on this class that I teach. So it's like, you're good enough to teach here pretty much. Mm. Um, So you graduated and then they offered you a position essentially. Yes. to teach there. Yes. So cool. I said, yes, of course. Like that was my plan. Um, I wanted to teach there. And then from the very beginning, I, it was very confusing again about how in the beginning of training, it was like, once you're certified, you're certified. Like you can kind of do your own thing, but you had to be certified in this particular style. Like it didn't matter if you had any other teacher trainings in order to teach there, you had to go through there curriculum. Okay, so in order to teach there, you had to certify under that style. Yes. Kind of like Bikram. Like yes. Like, if you're going to be a Bikram teacher, you have to yes. go to the Bikram training. So this was Skole Yoga. That was the style. 
So could you go teach in other studios if you wanted with your Scola Yoga certification? Um, that was never addressed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> red flag. <laughs> um, another red flag was at the very end, he kind of nonchalantly was like, oh, by the way, like, your guys' group is going to be the last group that is um, Yoga Alliance certified. Because moving forward, I forget how he worded it, but basically it was like, we don't need that. Like, it's not that important. Like, it's just kind of hearsay. So that's just why I'm dropping it. And the rest of my trainings aren't going to be Yoga Alliance certified, which was also something that was never communicated to those prior teacher trainings. But yours was. And mine was. And if some people listening might not know what the Yoga Alliance is or like what that even means. What is that? So that's mean? essentially like if you get, like normally you get licenses, right? Or um, things through the state in order to, to do certain things. So whether it be esthetician or um, piercing or, ta- you know, different things. Um, so that's essentially yoga's like version of that so I didn't know this at the time but it's actually not really yoga itself is not very like um what's the words there's not like as much regulation no at all there's (laughs) not like um there's not a large certifying body no pretty much anyone can go through any training yes and become a yoga teacher. Yes. And so Yoga Alliance is that attempt at that. To try to regulate it. Yes. Yeah. Um, to try to show that, like, hey, this person has a 200-hour certification. Like, I registered with the Alliance Yeah. after my program just to, like, that's what you do to be on their website and mm-hmm. they make you do continuing education. Mm-hmm. And um, But, again... No one's regulating this stuff. Right. And no one's regulating the teacher trainings either. So, I mean, you you do submit something, I believe, to them based on your curriculum you're teaching. But it's very, from my understanding, um, it's very, like, open-ended yeah. <laughs> as to what curriculum you can teach. Because our lineage was Ashtanga. He had learned from... Um, His last name was Williams. I can't remember his first name right now. But that was like his teacher of Ashtanga. And then supposedly he learned from Patabi Joyce. So yoga is kind of like a like a lineage kind of a thing. And it's pretty new here in the States still. Um, so that's why you kind of got your Bikram. And you got your Ashtanga. And you got like your Yin Yoga. And then those are like kind of the main ones that were... Um, streamlined I would Mm -hmm. say but in my opinion like it's movement (laughs) and there's just different flows that that movement can follow um so Ashtanga is very strict very very strict very like this is what you do this is what you don't do and then his his style was basically a spin-off of that um which is kind of what happened here this is a little side tangent to where we were going in your certification, but it's kind of what happened here is that yoga became a business. Yes. And so people realized um, they could 
make their own style of yoga and mm-hmm. trademark it mm-hmm. and then make more money and mm-hmm. then certify people, which mm-hmm. it sounds like mm-hmm. this is what this had happened. Mm-hmm. Like he went and got training from Ashtanga. He then created his own style, mm-hmm. marketed it, mm-hmm. made it his own and turned it into a business. Yes. Essentially. Yes. Um, which to me is one of the biggest problems that has happened with, yoga coming to America is that we turned it into a business. Yep. And I mean, I don't think that's inherently wrong, but I think there's a lot that is lost Yeah. in that, you know, cause I mean, all the dogmas I was being taught, um, were not being practiced mm-hmm. by that teacher. Um, which was hard for me to understand Yeah, <laughs> as a person who was like fully embodying and living and like, this was my lot, like my world. And excited. Like yes. there's this part of you that's <laughs> like, this is now what I'm doing mm-hmm. with my life. Mm-hmm. I'm now a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. So back to kind of your story, we can get into the dogma pieces in a little bit. There's this, so you certify, you start mm-hmm. teaching there. Mm-hmm. He tells you he's going to take away the alliance approval moving forward. Right. And then and then what's happening? Um, so right off the get-go, the things that were told in my training were not actually what happened. So I was not free to teach what style I wanted. I was not free to... Um, add elements that I felt like adding that maybe weren't in our curriculum or in the exact like training manual. Um, so he made a new style <laughs> after your teacher training. Yes. Okay. For that was supposed to be meant for new teachers to, um, baby step you into teaching the Scole main styles, which were strong, deep, and refresh. So yin, like a power yoga, and then kind of a blend of the two. And so could you? did you have to take another certification so that you could learn that new style? No, but he did like have to mentor me through that style. And then he, I had to have him sit in on three classes of Make that sure style. Doing it right. Right. Okay. And I think the first class he set in on my feedback after was, you should be grateful that I cared enough to count how many times you said this phrase. You said this phrase 50 plus times. And that was like a big critique, a big no-no. It was like words and language were very like important to him. Yeah. So... Everything just had to be done this particular way. And he called them filler phrases. Mm. So. It sounds very Bikrami. Yes. <laughs> of like this structure, this way, these yes. words, this amount yes. of time, this amount of holds, yes. this order. Which looking back, I think he put me in that style to kind of box me in mm. a little bit. Um, but I rolled with it. I was like, okay, do you want me to teach this thing? I'm going to crush it you know and 
at first my attendance wasn't high because it was a newer style and people it was fully guided which is what a normal yoga class is Mm -hmm. but his style has usually three to seven minutes where there's free flow so you're taught a sequence through three times and then you're basically like let go for the rest of a song or two to just like move how you want um so there was a good portion of the class that wasn't actually guided. Like you weren't speaking, you know, the teacher would just be in the back corner. Essentially there was like a DJ booth cause it was like a very high tech studio. So we were basically DJing, teaching, doing music, doing lights. Like it was a lot that wow. went into it. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. <laughs> um, but I loved the challenge and it was fun. Um, so I started in that style and then once I was deemed good enough or whatever in his mind, I was allowed to have one of the course styles, but he wouldn't give me the style I wanted. Um, he gave me the, the strong style, which, like, I, I did well, but I wanted to do the deep because I liked it. It was slower. It was more sensual. It was more like yin. Y- yeah, it was a blend. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, wait, those three things you named are actually different classes. Yeah, so based on the style, yeah, there's different class styles based on the brand and name that he gave those classes. And in this case, you were like, I want to learn this one, and he said, no, you can't. I'm yeah, you're not ready or whatever. I'm going to teach you this one instead. Yeah, to, to get you there. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, you've, you've upgraded enough, I'll let you teach strong. And I was like, well, why can't I teach deep? And it was always this like, well, I know you can, but like you can't yet. So it was, like, encouraging, but, like, not at the same time. It was very much a, a carrot being dangled, essentially. Yes, yes. This is what you want, and I'm going to oh. keep what you want out of reach. Yes. But I keep just... you in, oh. involved enough that you're like, okay, if I just keep going and I keep doing and I keep showing up, then you'll reward me with this thing. And yeah. I was giving a lot of my hours for free, cleaning the studio, coming to oh. his classes, and helping check everyone in because there wasn't a... Uh, like a front desk person yeah so there was usually a a me or a version of me whoever he had being that person essentially at that time it was me um which this is what happens this is I mean I've personally experienced this not in the yoga community in a different community which is part of the reason why you and I even started having a conversation in the first place um I put up an Instagram post around teachers in the spiritual world and you and I started chatting I offered you to share your story, which you gladly said yes. And it is this like, well, if I keep working harder, if I keep doing more, maybe I'll get that carrot. And and it's at fault of me. Like in my situation, it was definitely, there was fault on my part. But there's fault of the teacher too, because the teacher is the one dangling the carrot. And sometimes that's known. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not known. Most of the time it's totally intentional. Mm-hmm. It's 100% intentional because we're giving them something. We're either giving them money, we're giving them time, we're giving them fame, we're giving them power. Mm-hmm. We're outsourcing our power to them. They know it. They're feeding off of it, and so they keep dangling the carrot. Yep. And this is happening all over the place. And it didn't matter what the carrot looked like. It was different depending on the person. Everyone had their own version of a carrot based on what he knew that they wanted. So was this happening to other people in the studio where, like, someone else 
let's call it graduated from or certified as a yoga teacher and he was saying well you can teach deep but you can't teach strong like yes that was happening yes you weren't the only one this was happening to within the studio no and the reasons I was being told were and then a new teacher would get hired and they'd go right into teaching deep and I'd be like wait so you told me it was because I had to earn that but this person has been teaching now zero classes and I've been teaching for a few months at your style like why do they get it and um, there was never an answer it was just kind of an avoidance like just keep working hard you'll get keep showing up yeah keep keep you know and every time I'd show up and I'd give my time for free and I'd help out with trainings and it was like don't 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 think I don't notice like your hard work will pay off and it was always just that like promise of something that never came and I started to just realize like if he said he was going to do something that I had to just harass him to get it. When did you start to put together um, that this was happening to other people in the studio? I don't think that happened until after I left. Okay so we'll, we'll get yeah. there. So he's dangling the carrot, you're wanting to teach different classes, you're not. So I signed up for my 300 hour teacher training Okay. and paid another three grand. And that was supposed to be like my commit, my view, like my commitment, you know, of like I'm serious about this, you know. There, and then the ne- the next carrot became, you can run teacher trainings, which I found out later was pretty much the same thing he would tell everyone that would come into a 300 hour. Mm-hmm. And I'd had, and I've met some people in that time period that were like, oh, you work for him, like, oh yeah, that's what he told you. He told me the same thing. It never happened. I remember just brushing it off because I'm like, oh, I'm different, or I don't know your situation, or I, you know, it's just really easy to to brush things off um, that didn't fit this mold the way it had been uh, laid out, um, and I was pretty much just like I was in it, like I wasn't having any plans to divert. Um, until essentially the pandemic happened. And then the studio went online, so virtual. So I was still teaching some virtual classes for him. I think there, I think I was still being paid for those. I can't quite remember. And also, for certain people that might not know this, where you and I live, we went into lockdown. Yeah. I mean, a, lo- a large portion of the world went into lockdown, but that's why you moved to virtual. It's because yeah. we were forced to, to do that. Yeah, so they were recorded uh, the way he did it you would recruit two students to come to your recording session and then he was the camera guy he was always there tech camera guy um and then you would record your class with your two students there kind of like doing the flow that you're teaching because we taught but we didn't do the class Mm. so um it was all very verbal cues um and like kind of just guiding the body through words essentially Mm -hmm. uh, which is how you could practice in a dark almost black room because you just as long as you could hear and the mic was good, you're good to go. Um, which I actually liked that about the practice with the online is I would usually just blindfold myself and then just do the yoga mm-hmm. in my house, um, which was nice at that time. Um, but then um, pandemic or the shutdown eased up a little bit. You were allowed to have small group gatherings. So teacher trainings resumed. I'm in my 300 hour, the other groups in their 200 hour. 
So I'm kind of like a mentor-ish role to this 200-hour group. And um, then one of those women who was a very frequent uh, student at the studio, like she was there almost every day. She did privates with him, I think, every week. Um, She had a very advanced practice. She was doing the teacher training. And I had, I had noticed her becoming very distant, not showing up, which was very out of character for her. And I didn't press anything. I just had this knowing that she's going to reach out to me. And she did. And we sat down and she told me a bunch of stuff. And I honestly wasn't ready. It took me a while to process what she was saying. She was bringing up some um, trauma that I had also experienced. So I kind of went down my own little rabbit hole of like trying to process these things that I wasn't really ready. I wasn't expecting, I should say. And then I went on vacation and came back and found out that she was missing. And then we found out a week later that she had died by suicide. And what? Yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah. Holy shit. No one did, unfortunately. Uh, it was swept under the rug. Um, did she, um, when she reached out to you, though, she, she shared her story with you? Or she, not really? She told me that some, um, that a sexual assault had happened a year ago to her, and then that it had just again recently happened. Well, she gave me exc- excruciating detail on the first account. And then the second account got very vague and just said it was someone that she had, uh, or someone that she worked with, I think was what she told me, and that it had happened in a car. And that's all she would give me. And um, I was just like, okay, like, if there's any way I can support you, let me know. Like, feel free to call me. And then two weeks later, she had died by suicide. Um, And... We went to teacher training, um, I think a week after we had all found out, at least, I don't know who all is, I I shouldn't say that because I don't know how many people actually found out. I only knew because I was more closely involved with it. Um, And we went to teacher training and the way he talked about it just horrified me. Like he victim blamed essentially. And I was like, wait what? Like, what is going on? Like, he basically, his dialogue was if she had chosen to show up to teacher training and she had chosen to not hang out with her boyfriend and whatever else, um, then basically she'd be here. And I was just like, what? Like, are you really saying these words? That's no way to address uh, suicide. (laughs) No. Mental health issues. Not to mention, he didn't address it at all within the community. This was a person that was there almost every single day right so supporting the people that are being affected by her suicide because yes they relate to her they're with her and now suddenly she's missing like that requires support yes when those kinds of things happen. and it was very emotional for me and so then I I my mental health took a hit and uh I just started realizing I was like I don't think I'm okay to teach right now um and the, the, the woman, another woman in the community that had just recently come in, because we came back from the pandemic and all of a sudden a woman had entered in the situation and now she was his new business partner. And I was like, wait, what? 
Like I'd never seen this person in my whole life. And I was there multiple times a week, um, every weekend, every Saturday, Sunday class. So I was kind of like, huh, like this seems odd. Or like there's some flags here. Mm -hmm. And so she and I had kind of started becoming close around this same time and this woman had kind of been reaching out to both of us at the same time for support all while we also didn't know what we were actually trying to support her through. Sorry, the woman that committed suicide. So the woman, yeah, her name was Tawny. Okay. And uh, his new business partner um, and I were kind of like more involved. Like she was reaching out to us more directly. So we were both kind of involved. And then through that, we kind of started to um, form a connection. So I went on vacation. I came back. I was actually in a meditation and this, this woman, that's his new business partner pops in my head and I was just told you need to save her. And I was like, what? I save her from what? So I got back and I was like, Hey, I think we need to like sit down and talk. And so I got her story about how she came to the community or how she came to the, the studio, the community, how she ended up there, how she had been recruited essentially. Um, and she basically tells me that he had been showing up to the gym that she had worked at for over a year and trying to get her to come be a part of this thing and, um, had like basically recruited her in after the pandemic happened and her gym shut down and then she had a a split from this community she'd been a part of for like, I don't remember, I think like eight years her and her boss had a, a break. And so I think she was also in this very vulnerable place of like, what's next? What do I do? Um, so he's like, okay, cool. I'm right here to give you the, the Come opportunity. In. Come in as a business partner. Yes. Um, and she had a lot of clientele from that gym. So I think that was partly his motivation was to bring her following. Follow her. Right. Yeah. Um, she had an extensive private client list and and stuff like that um and they were gonna I don't know like revamp some stuff or whatever and so we ended up getting together and uh, getting to know each other better becoming essentially trauma bonding we were trauma bonding for about a month or two and some people might not know what that is what is trauma bonding um I don't know the exact definition but my interpretation of that is um you're bonding through um, a similar trauma that you yeah. both have. Yeah. Um, but yeah. other than that, we weren't bonding on any other level. Mm, that's interesting because to me that does say, like, this is for sure trauma bonding. Yeah. And it's, um, you're usually bonding over that trauma. Yes. Like, that, that you're both experiencing. Yes. <laughs> or might, you might have experienced, both experienced it in the past you've met and you're now bonded together because you're like oh we have this thing in common and Mm -hmm. you can understand me like no one else can understand me Mm -hmm. but maybe it's not a great relationship or the best relationship it can be a kind of a dangerous relationship sometimes I think at that time um it was what I needed yeah but very quickly I realized that it wasn't healthy and when I tried to put space um, she just completely shut me off. So, um, but after I, after finding out about this woman taking her life and the way he responded to it, 
I was like, I don't want to teach right now. I need space and I need to, to heal right now. Cause like we're in the middle of this pandemic, this is happening, you know, it's just a lot. There's so much, so much that's <laughs> happening in 2020. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to step away from teaching for a bit, take a break. Um, he wanted to set up, or I asked to set up a meeting with him, um, which he wanted me to come meet him at his private home, which I found to be very, uh, honestly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, why would we meet at your house when you have a studio before. and yeah, I've never been to your home before, let alone alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd already agreed to the meeting before I talked to some friends who were like, Alyssa, that seems really weird. weird. And I was like, Oh, maybe that feeling was right. And so I ended up showing up to the meeting and just bringing my dog and being like, Oh, Hey, sorry, I have my dog with me. <laughs> we can just go on a walk or go to the park. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> and so he came out to meet me. I never went into his house. I, and, you know, we went to the, across the park. We talked. Um, I basically just very vaguely was like, I want to take a step back from teaching right now. And he was like, okay. And then within 30 minutes of that meeting, all my access to the studio had been removed. So all my back end access had been removed. Wow. Um, so... I found that to be a very interesting response because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't quitting. Mm-hmm. I just said, I'm going to take a break from teaching right now. I need to for my mental health. Exactly. And, you know, in my mind, I might still go help out at the studio and everything, which would still require me to have back-end access to be able to check students in and do all that. So I was um, kind of hurt by that response. And then once I stepped away, his new business partner came forward and basically told me um, her story with him mm-hmm. and how she had experienced um, sexual assault. And that's not what she called it at that time. Um, I ended up processing with her, which I probably shouldn't have because I'm not a licensed therapist. <laughs> not yet, at least. Um, so that kind of brought me down a rabbit hole a little bit with her, again, trauma bonding over this event Um, I was trying to help her process and then after me finding out that I was like well I have to tell the other teachers like I have to was she telling the other teachers or she only told you she only told me at the beginning okay but I, I she I told the other teachers with her permission okay um and eventually she became more open to like because her, her sharing her story is essentially what made other people come out with theirs. Yeah. Um, but I came to this teacher's and I said, hey, this was just told to me. And the teacher said, oh, no, not again. And I said, what? Oh. Not again? What do you mean? And apparently the reason that his original business partner had left She took a bunch of the teachers and left because of prior allegations of this Mm. um, on students and and fellow teachers. So they were pretty willing to all quit. So we basically all walked out Mm. was what happened. All female teachers? Um, Two males. And they walked with you? Yeah. Um, Well, some did and then ended up reverting back. Mm. Um. But because of that, and then he tried to hire some more teachers because they had just come out of their teacher training. And then I told them, because that was one thing I did have, was I was connected to the people in the community. Yeah. Um, 
much more so than him, um, who was not very connected to the community. Um, so for the most part, when I said that people were like, I believe you, um, there was some people that were like, no, or it was just a very, um, like, I'm sorry you believe that response or whatever. Yeah, or maybe I even wonder if some of it's like, I don't want to get involved. Like, I'm going to plug my ears. I yeah. just paid thousands of dollars for a teacher training. Yeah, and so I, I had found this out in the middle of my advanced. So I ended up having to step away uh, just forfeiting that $3,000. Yeah. Um, and I, I did struggle with, do I leave or do I stay for a while? Um, and I ended up talking to some previous people that had left, and they had given me advice that, your presence alone is more powerful being there because people don't trust him. They trust you. Mm. And I was like, that's probably true. Um, because I remember having that dialogue of like, I don't know if I trust him, but like that person, it trusts him and I trust them. Mm -hmm. So if I trust her and she trusts him, then it must be fine. And I realized I was not one of those people. Right. So I was like, okay, so when I first left, I left quietly and people, students just started kind of asking me on their own, why did you leave? What's going on? And so that's when I decided, like, I was just going to share this story. Mm -hmm. And um, the studio did shut down and I felt that was a victory for a while um, until the studio got bought by another local studio and... It reopened um, under this new studio name, which was really disheartening and kind of brought me back through those emotions of everything. And I did meet with those owners of that studio and I told them, just so you know, we have five police reports filed, you know, there's more coming out of the works. Um, just be aware that this is kind of what's going on and they said that they had like inklings of stuff but didn't know all that information and that he wouldn't be around long fast forward to a year and a half later and he still teaches there still runs teacher trainings there which um broke my heart a little bit because it's just another space that's claiming to be safe and um, knowingly has a predator in there on staff yeah and not just on staff, but still running his teacher trainings, where in my opinion was where the deepest abuse happened. Because once you were like investing time and money into the the ideologies, um, that's where you were more integrated into the the community. Because there were students that had been going there for years, but were still students. Yeah, and still far enough away from everything that it didn't. They weren't as like their whole life wasn't as invested in that, into that, um, world. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, nothing happened with, unfortunately, the, um, legal side of things. Um, it didn't amount to anything because it's all circumstantial and, and all the legal things, um, which is unfortunately the case a lot of times. Yeah. with sexual assault yeah. and these things is that there's not enough quote-unquote proof yep. there's I mean you would think that five police reports would be enough but it's not um, it takes 
a lot for someone to be convicted of sexual assault and sexual abuse. Yep. Unfortunately. And my hope is at least that the next person that will come forward or whatever will have more support at least with those five already filed police reports. Yeah, um, and I mean to me too that shows like the importance of speaking up, yeah. right? Because something might not happen with it or because of it, but if there's enough, five women might not be enough, but unfortunately, but maybe 10 yeah. will be enough for something to actually happen. And so, you know, there I know there's so many times as a woman, and not always a woman because sexual assault and abuse happens to men too, and it's always this question of like, do I say something? Mm-hmm. Do I speak up? Mm-hmm. And how, how scary that is. It's mm-hmm. such a process. And yeah, I mean, just honoring all the women that have had to speak up and it doesn't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Not in this case, like in all the cases, because mm-hmm. this happens all the time. Which was also a lesson I had to learn. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. And I had to learn to be unattached to the outcome because I had a burning fire in my heart to get him in trouble <laughs> yeah. and protect women or people um, from experiencing the many the spectrum of of experiences that you can have there with this person you know from that to just you know putting your whole life into this thing and believing in it was so much and then just having that rug pulled out from under you it was hard or for me it was hard um I feel like everything I feel like my whole reality I didn't I didn't understand my place in the world anymore. Like, I was just like, I don't know where I stand on anything anymore. Like, everything just felt very, um, like, on edge. Once you left. Yeah. Once you were like, I'm... Yeah, I was like, I don't even know if I know what yoga is anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's one of of the questions I'm wondering is what... Because this is not a, this is a micro of a macro. Yes. This is happening and we've seen it across the country and they think Netflix did a documentary on it and it's like, this is actually really, really common. Yes. Um, it's being spoken around in the yoga communities. It's happening in all spiritual contexts. It's just right now, because we can look at the spiritual community or the yoga community, the highlight is there. Mm-hmm. But this is happening mm-hmm. all over. Um, Which I was not aware of until yeah. leaving. <laughs> right. And it's, to me, I'm like, it definitely messes with quote unquote spirituality. And in your case, your yoga. Mm-hmm. Like, how did it affect your personal practice to yoga? Um, it completely stopped for a long while. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know if I wanted to teach yoga, let alone practice it, um, for, I don't think I, I don't exactly know how long, I want to say it was at least six to eight months. You didn't practice at all? Pretty much, no. Yeah, I was just, I felt just so traumatized by the practice. Um, I didn't know what was real, what wasn't real, um, I just felt very lost and the thing that I would have gone to for that was like 
pulled away from me. <laughs> yeah, it was your fucking back. Like, because you said earlier, it became it's like the reason why you got turned on to yoga is it was a way to manage your mental health. Yes, and now I lost this tool, and I was like, okay, <laughs> now what? Um, and was there a part of you too? I think you kind of said this um, to expand a little more. I mean, you do, in my yoga teacher training, we did learn about, like, the lineages and the history, and, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's so much there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yoga poses is, asana is mm-hmm. a tiny fraction of what mm-hmm. yoga is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, I mean, did you learn all of that stuff in your training and just kind of have to look at those pieces, too? Um, we did, but it's, again, it's hard for me to know, even now, what was just through his interpretation right like what was his ideology versus what does the rest of the world say i'm i'm still kind of navigating that and i do want to take another training one day just to um be able to experience something else that is positive um for me not that i didn't get positive experiences out of it because i did um but we did we dived into the different different lineages, the different types of yoga, you know, obviously movements, like you said, asana is just one, and there's breath, and there's bhakti, and, you know, there's different um, forms of practicing this, and I did start to realize that I've been meditating my whole life, just not, like, (laughs) sitting down in a seat, like, I've, I've had tools of meditation my whole life, like, going on walks, or just movement, I mean, I was always drawn to sports, um, but I think, honestly, the biggest thing I had to do after all that was just stop everything and go inside. And I was cocooned for, like, six to eight months. I didn't really see really anyone. I just did work and came home. And I just I feel like it was just a deep process of coming back to myself. Um, because I my indiv- like I didn't have any individualism anymore because I was so indoctrinated. Um, my sense of self was that community, was that yoga cult. <laughs> um, and why do you think that is, that that became you and you, you know, kind of went into this community and invested yourself? I think because... I was fully invested in the process, in his process, and his process is, in my opinion, is just one giant manipulation tool. So it was the charisma at first, the drawing you in, the, the promise of basically enlightenment I mean I did call him my guru at points throughout that which now looking back I'm like oh my gosh (laughs) what gross yeah (laughs) like I don't need a guru okay (laughs) I can have teachers but um and then I think there was just just like a deep integration into that world and just like little by little it just became deeper and deeper to the point that, like, I don't think I knew who I was among any of it. I was just, like, that was my identity, was being a part of this community, having this, I remember feeling like I found my 
island of misfit toys. Like I'd never felt like I belonged. And I finally found this place where these other people shared that they didn't feel like they belong. And then we found this place that we felt like we belonged with each other. Um, and I don't think I've ever, I had ever experienced that before that aspect of community. So I think that also just as much got me invested fully because I was so lacking community. And then here it was just basically like given to me after I signed up. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said around a deep longing and a deep desire to belong. Yeah. And I, I actually really relate to that in my own story where I remember on day like three or four of a really intense seven day training crying because I was like, I found my people. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I really felt that way. And, and just like a sense of relief and a sense of yeah, like I, be- I finally belong to something. Mm-hmm. I had a purpose. I have a purpose. I had a place in something where I felt like it mattered. Yeah. Like I felt like what we were doing was impactful to the world. Yeah, making a difference. Yeah. Totally. And, and then like you said, it's just that desire to belong. I, for me personally, just kind of all the other red flags or all the carrot dangling the desire to belong was so much more important that I didn't see the carrot dangling. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the red flags. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had, and then you just, for me personally, I just lost sense of self. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's like, I no longer have an internal compass or this internal focus. My focus was the community Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder like, is it something about our personalities? Is it just this deep desire to belong and community has been ripped away from us on so many levels mm-hmm. in our day and age? Makes me wonder about this, like, why? <laughs> why did we have a tendency <laughs> I think, to get pulled into that? <laughs> I think it's really common, honestly. Um, and I think it just depends on where that community is. So like, at least in my case, there was like this one charismatic leader and then he had like his teachers, which were like his devotees. And then he had the students, which were like another level of devotees. And, um, but I think ultimately we all came into that space looking for answers, looking for community and, place to feel like other people are like-minded as you um so I think that's just not a bad thing but then when you have someone that is predatorial that can see those things I think it can start to it can start to shift I think just depending on kind of the environment and like who's running it Um, so, you know, I think if you find community where everyone's feeling that same way, but then it's like, it's a therapy group with a professional or it's, you know, like it's a positive thing, not where everything you're saying is now later going to be used against you. Um, cause we basically went in day one of teacher training and like 
we all talked about our deepest traumas. Like we made it easy on day one for him to know, like speaking in my case, I have a deep mother wound and I have this um, desire to like please and try to be good enough and like prove myself. And that was very much the dynamic that he fed off of. And I afterwards realized that was also why I was so invested was like this, dynamic I used to have with my mom I had with him where I was trying to prove something I was trying to be good enough just do 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 work 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 um, do more be more maybe then eventually I'll finally get that validation that I'm seeking which would never come (laughs) so it was is definitely a reenactment of you know my own um, stories in a lot of ways and this particular person or persons that are like this, I think just um, they have an ability to see that and know how to exploit it. Yeah, and the charisma, it's interesting. In my case, there was no sexual assault or predatory behavior, thank Mm -hmm. God. Um, But it was a conversation with my sister where I started to open my eyes a little bit, and she said, like a kismeratic leader. Mm-hmm. charismatic leader mm-hmm. um, and she I grew up LDS and she likened it to Joseph Smith who mm-hmm. was also a charismatic leader and could get people to follow them mm-hmm. that's what charismatic leaders do is they get people to follow them and just to be like oh my god you're amazing let me tell you all my deep, deepest darkest secrets and if there's this previous in your case mother wound which funny enough is with some of my situation as well is like this desire to be the best, this desire to prove myself, mm-hmm. everything very externally focused based on an external person, mm-hmm. totally forgetting about what's happening with the internal focus or the internal locus of control. And I do kind of think that's, that's why this happens so much is you know, going into our, our childhood of a lot of wounding around enoughness mm-hmm. or like proving ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then it just plays out, these unhealed wounds from childhood just play out into these dynamics, into these relationships. Yeah. And interestingly, I even remember when I started to realize that, and then that was kind of turned on me in a way of like like you're triggering me because of this thing but it's not you it's me Mm. and so I just internalized everything it's like oh this is just my stuff and this is my problem he's not doing anything and then once I stepped away enough I was like oh no like he's feeding that Mm. into that you know so it's re- there's a re- it's conscious on his part. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was so amazing my w- my willingness to blame myself. <laughs> Me too. And I I think that's like, and I don't. People are like, oh, that's victim language, and it's not to me. It's that this. I think that's what happens in spiritual communities, though. That's the language they literally say yes. to. You. They literally teach you and say to you. Yep. Mirror theory, right? Which mirror theory is great. I work with it in myself sometimes. I mm-hmm. teach some of my clients it. 
but they then use that against you to be like, nothing's wrong with me. Yes. This is your problem. Go look in the mirror. Yes. Figure out why you're triggered. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and was like, oh, I get it. It's not you. It's me. And I need to work on myself And he more. was like, yeah, good job. <laughs> and so I was like validated in that. Like, oh, it is my fault. Look, like, I just had a spiritual awakening process and I just yes. worked through some trauma. Yes. <laughs> I remember even sharing that in a circle, like a group setting. Um, um, but I think I, I think one of the other big red flags that occurred the first the first thing that really made me realize that something was up was I was dating a woman while I was just a student. I don't remember if I was a student or if I was I think I no I was teacher I was in teacher training at this time. I brought a woman that I was dating to the studios for just a class and. I was like helping in the class because we did something called hands-on connections, which was basically like massage, sort of, like while they're in maybe like a, a yin pose or something. And looking back now, his approach to touch was very predatorial. But at that time, we were basically taught you get permission based on how the person responds to your touch. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Which is not how it actually works. Because <laughs> most people will freeze. Yeah. That's their, their response. And right. so this or woman like I brought. consent. <laughs> right, right. Or consent. Exactly. <laughs> like if I ever do hands-on, whatever you want to call it now, in a private session, I'll always ask do I have permission to do yeah. this. <laughs> and they're usually like, oh my gosh, yes, please. Yeah. But like that's important to me. Um, so I brought her thinking that, okay, I don't need to preface this to her because I was going to help in the class and I'll do her hands-on connection. So it'll be fine. And then we come into the class and I was like, can I help? He's like, yes. And then he like very aggressively, like while everyone's down in this yin pose and it's dark out, he very aggressively was like, no, you're not going to do her hands on, like kind of just motioning to me without words. And so, cause he wanted to do her hands on connection and she kind of stormed out of the studio at the end of the class and went out to her car and I guess he chased her out there and was like, how do I know you? Like we met somewhere, which I found out later was like a line he would use on women a lot. Like I've met you somewhere. I know you and would just kind of draw them in. And she, she had trauma um, in her past and childhood with, with males particularly. So, um, I think that was a part of it, but he chased her out there and she's like, no dude, I'm just checking on my dog, getting some air. I'm fine. You know? And he eventually, I guess, kind of let her alone. And then after when we left, she was like, dude, your boss like touched me really weird during class. He was being like rubbing my ears. Like it was just very weird to her. And it was like what she was describing. Cause I was like, Oh, we do hands-on connections. And she's like, yeah, but like, and then she described to me the way he was touching her. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not hands-on. Connection. That's not, yeah, that's not what we're taught. That's very weird. And, um, she was very uncomfortable and didn't want to go back. Um, and felt honestly a little traumatized by it. And I was like, huh, like, why would this be taken that way if the intention is to heal? And, and that was kind of my first, like, oh, well, maybe, 
this isn't always great, you know? And then fully stepping out of it, I realized, like, what a predatorial way to approach touch. Like, Mm -hmm. you get to decide whether they give you permission or not. Like, that's not how it works. (laughs) Left alone, like, in an environment where people are trying to go and heal or maybe work through things that are going on or if they're being emotional or very being very vulnerable and open. um, And to go and touch someone in that place without their permission, I just think is not okay. Yeah. Um, let alone in the dark when you don't know where this person is. Loud music too. Loud music, lots of bodies, depending on what class you were in. That was a big class cause he had a, always had big classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later I, I even checked in with my own reactions of his touch and I'm like, I, I, I I honestly felt cringy when he would do his hands-on connections to me. And luckily they weren't very often um, because he just usually didn't have the time. But whenever I did receive them or I'd feel like his energy was just like this like cold chill down my spine. And I'd like freeze and I'd be like, just pass, just pass me, just pass me. And then I'd relax and then that's when he'd come and touch me. Wild. Yeah. Like (laughs) right when I was like, okay, he's gone. Mm -hmm. And then he'd be like, Then he touched me again. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was like, just just get it over with. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, this should not be happening. <laughs> and again, it's like you're pointing that on yourself or, mm-hmm. or just the red flags. It's just so many red flags that go out the window because, yeah, whatever. Whatever the reason. There's many reasons. Well, there was very much a teacher-student um, dynamic that... You know, and I think another thing that I found, um, so one thing that helped me coming out of this was definitely the learning about cults and learning about just like other cults and members of those cults telling their stories and stuff and um, just having some sort of resource for, because I just didn't know I didn't feel like I had resources to go to yeah. to understand in an intellectual way, which is basically what I had to do was I had to start turning my emotions off with it and just start observing through a more intellectual, which helped me be like, oh, okay, that's what I was experiencing. Like, that makes sense. Um, so I feel like I started with the charisma and then, you know, indoctrinating you, but there was very much this, like, I've been teaching for 15 years and I'm a lawyer and... Um, I think sometimes we trust people just based on their, um, like their titles or their credentials. Um, and it gives you a sense of more trust where maybe that's not yet earned or warranted. So I feel like that it was a part of the environment too, was like, oh, he's been teaching for a long time and he's a lawyer and like, you should just trust a guy like that, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and, um, I think that was pretty like at least prevalent and there were things that people found coming out of it that were like oh well I always thought this was weird but he did it to everybody so I didn't think it was that weird so it's like these things too that it's like in a in an outside context you'd think okay that's like inappropriate or odd but when you're in this isolated group and you're seeing it be repeated then you're just kind of like oh well I'll just ignore that red flag because this has just become like normalized in this space so like coming up behind women and like massaging them or like interest in like a 
after class, like mm-hmm. out in the lobby or, you know, like just, just a lot of touching when it's not warranted, like, um, yeah, like it just, it didn't need to be there, mm-hmm. <laughs> let alone like your teacher or your boss doing it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think the normalization piece is, is important too. And that's also another thing my sister and in that same conversation I was referencing earlier brought up, she said, you have so much language and so many words for things that I don't understand. <laughs> like I can't have a, com- like when I would talk about that thing, mm-hmm. I couldn't even have a conversation with her mm. because it had such its own mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's a sign mm-hmm. that that you are so indoctrinated that you have like your own code. Mm-hmm. And I really had to sit with that and look at that. And of course, like when you learn new modalities or different techniques, like if you're becoming a therapist, of course there's mm-hmm. therapy language, but mm-hmm. it's like thousand, it's is more in a different context. It's like the language itself creates a dogma. Yes. And I think exclusivity is also a common theme in these environments because yeah. I was like, how are we supposedly sharing this inclusive practice, but it's being the business of it that you're running essentially is exclusivity. Mm. Like the, those two just don't go together. There was very much this like exclusive, you know, like there's, there was like, I think levels one, two, and three of your training. And I don't even honestly know what one was. I think he just made it up. Mm-hmm. And then two was your 200 hour and three was your 300 hour. So it was like levels of your commitment and um, just just a really interesting, like this is exclusive, but also inclusive. I'm like what? Those don't, Those don't go together. your marketing is not inclusive. Your, you know, the way you teach in my opinion isn't inclusive because you go in and it's like, you could have been practicing yoga for a long time, but you could come into a class and be like, wait, what is happening right now? Like, yeah, we're doing poses, but it was just like the way everything was created, it was to be different and to be um, essentially exclusive to this style, to this person, this teacher. And if you want to be in on that, then you've got to like commit pretty much. Um, Like I remember even when I got this tattoo that I have with the logo, he jokingly was like, okay, now everyone that's a teacher has to commit and get a, a tattoo with the logo. Because it was just like, that was not really what I was doing with that. But yeah. it's funny how you turned it into that. Right. Like, that's <laughs> like we all I need to brand ourselves. Like, what? Right. Which is, <laughs> did you ever watch the, um, I think it was the Nexium series? Yeah. So funny enough, I mean, I kind of was like in and out and really sitting with some different stuff. And I don't know how it came into my awareness. I think someone told me to watch it. Mm -hmm. And I binged watched it Mm -hmm. so fast. Mm -hmm. And I was watching it. And I was... Not that my story parallels the next... It's Nexium, right? Mm -hmm. Nexium, yeah. Yeah. My story doesn't parallel that. But there were bits and pieces within that that I was texting someone else in the community going... Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like I do that. This is happening. We did this. Mm-hmm. What is this about? And I finished watching that and I was like, Oh shit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in something. Mm-hmm. It was a huge wake up call. I didn't see that until after I left. And then I was Smart. like, Oh, <laughs> this makes me feel so understood. 
I'm not crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I, I felt crazy, honestly. Like, my perception and understanding of reality had been distorted. Yeah. Um, and diving into, like, other people's experiences of cults really helped me feel more compassion for myself mm-hmm. because I was so hard on myself of, like, how could I fall into this? How could I, you know, which... I think it also can happen when you're the outside looking in. Like, how could you be so dumb to to go to those lengths? But it doesn't just start mm-hmm. with that last big event. It's mm-hmm. it's a slow process of grooming and um, testing you to see your your loyalty, um, how basically far are you willing to go, mm-hmm. and then the ones that he knows or they know will are like v or like higher up in the they're vetted yes <laughs> yeah and I very much was one of those people that was like recruiting people in you know like come do the training come that's what we all were it was just like come do this you have to like like you know basically his followers were at were the advertisement yeah um <laughs> Yeah, and again, to point out, like, this is the micro of the macro. This is yep. happening everywhere and on, and on so, so many levels. Uh, you were kind of sharing that you had to go really internal. You started to read about cult dynamics and psychology. Is there anything else that kind of really helped you navigate this? Um, I think, I can't exactly remember timeline-wise... I either had just started teaching at another, I started teaching at a psychiatric hospital, I think right before I left or right after I left, somewhere right in that like limbo period, um, where it was the first place I had the opportunity to teach, not under this person's careful watch and careful, like you have to teach this particular style and dogma and I think that really started to help me um, find my my own self mm-hmm. in that practice and being able to just be like, especially to people that are in a psychiatric hospital, most people had either not done yoga or didn't have very much experience with it. So, you know, there was no like, this is right or this is wrong. It was like anything that I taught, people were just kind of like, oh, I loved that, like, that was so wonderful. And I, and I just started to find um, my own flows, my own sequencing that I liked, my own, um, you know, it's just movement, really. <laughs> um, whatever you want to call it. And I think that really did help me because I realized he was not yoga, which mm-hmm. is what I had associated, associated yoga as. I was like, this person is yoga. And I don't want to do anything to do with him, so I can't do yoga. Um, So I think I started to be able to separate the two. Um, Like, this person is not the god of yoga. This person is not my guru. He's not my guru. Um, I can teach under the style or not, and I'm still teaching yoga. Um, And I think I started to empower myself through that process. And I think, no, I was teaching there also a little bit while I was teaching at the studio because I do remember him kind of expressing, like, 
that I had to teach that style there or I should be, te- you know, I was just like, I can't have this group of psychiatric patients move by themselves for seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Like they're on me with every little pose. They need to be like, you know, encouraged that they're doing it right by watching me do it. Like I, I like they're not. That's more my opinion of someone that already has an advanced practice. Sure, he could be like, okay, we're going to free flow. Here's your sequence. Do your thing. And if you have a practice, even then it could still be uncomfortable. But you're like, okay, yeah, I know know what I'm doing here. But like, that's not a pop or that's not a confident population. Mm -hmm. So there's no way I could do that. And I think that that bothered him. And so I think just having yoga that wasn't involved with that helped me. And then claiming back my own personal practice and um, just just learning things that weren't particularly involved with just that particular ideology. So being able to learn things on my own terms, essentially, um, or discover things on my own terms. Um, and then from there, I started to try out doing park yoga. So I taught like yoga in the park and kind of did my own little thing and that was like really enjoyable and so it's just like realizing that like yoga was not this small box that I had been taught and it could be infinitely whatever really I wanted it to be um and that the elements that I wanted to bring there that were turned down were the elements that people love the most about my classes like singing and playing guitar and yeah like those were all shut down we don't do that here we don't you know like I was told that people had complained about me playing the guitar and I was like why like who's complaining like because once I stopped everyone was like why did you stop I'm like well I was told I wasn't allowed that's it. <laughs> you have to be the elements that are your truth and your light. Yes. Because they're natural for you. Of course, yes. that's what draws people in. Yes. And those are the things that were not encouraged in that environment. Anything that was unique, essentially, to myself was not encouraged. So that, that sense of self, again, just... It was hard to find that when it was being told it was wrong. Right, right. (laughs) Reflecting back, what do you think are your biggest lessons in this? Biggest lesson is intuition and listening to my intuition. Um, I've had people ask me like, like, well, how do I know? Or what do you know? What do I do in that situation? Like, you listen to your intuition because I knew, but I wasn't listening, Mm. (laughs) and. I think that was the biggest thing is it learned taught me to just trust myself and to trust what I'm feeling and to not always need a why or a um, like a straightforward like this is that because that you it's just to explain yourself no like it's just you know what this isn't feeling good I'm feeling like there's something going on here and trusting that and moving forward with that because my input is what comes first not the input of others or you know because 
there was a lot of dialogue with other students about things like, wow, this seems weird or that seems weird. But it was just ultimately like, we were all just kind of like invalidating each other in my opinion. Um, and so I'd say biggest thing was just listening to my intuition. And second thing um, was, is definitely discernment. Um, because now that I'm aware, more aware of these energies and these um, people that will operate in the world this way, and that it's not that uncommon, um, I think I am better at discerning now between um, someone that I think is actually like a healthy coach or mentor or teacher versus someone that just wants me to pay for their business. Or is just charismatic and <laughs> yes. knows the right things to say at yes. the right time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And to also go much slower with yeah. that. Like, if I'm going to enter into this, I'm going to feel it out. Maybe we'll have a session or, you know, whatever the the, the scope of the, the offering is. But just... Um, not going so full in without taking the time to kind of see the foundation, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, Do your research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like test it out. Yeah. Make sure it continues to feel good. Yes. And to observe, because I, I observed a lot. I'm very much just an observer in general. Um, but I think because I was so disconnected from myself and my intuition that those observations didn't like piece things together for me um, until later. So I'd say now it's just more like going slow, not rushing into anything regardless of the dynamic or the relationship. It was a relationship. Um, and to just be more, yeah, more discerning and to not shove aside red flags but to be like, okay, I'm noticing that. See if it keeps repeating. Uh, maybe it was an isolated event. Or just just to navigate, I guess, in a, in a more conscious way. <laughs> yeah. What people I let into or dictate or teach me things about myself um, before they, I feel like they actually have that trust in that that relationship to, to, to have that dynamic. Um, cause it's like, you know, you go to your first therapy session and it's not like you're just dying no. right in, you know, that is built over time. It's built over trust. And, um, I think that was, it was a good lesson for me as well. It's just, um, discerning intuition going at things a little slower because <laughs> I dived head in was like I'm ready give me whatever I'm here for it <laughs> yeah. I have that personality as well yeah like I'm in 1000% yep. <laughs> and then I'm like oh fuck yeah I'm like oh wait what did I sign up for <laughs> totally oh my goodness like who are you what's your actual credentials right what do you do with your life outside of this yeah, how do you show up outside of this? That's something I think yes. is really huge, too, is are they showing up for me 
like integrity means you're showing up the same everywhere yes which was not the case yeah like (laughs) checking that out for your teachers I think is super super important um so the the uh I'm just gonna mention we have a dog that like really wants to come towards the microphone right now (laughs) gosh something to say (laughs) yeah so you might be hearing that um so the name of this podcast, of course, is like nurturing resiliency, resiliency being this, yeah, like, what is it do you think that made it so that you made it through? Was it nature, nurture, the, the fire that you've spoken about, like you're just naturally have that fire in your belly as your personality? Yeah, I mean, I would say... I am a very naturally resilient person. Um, I think ultimately part of it was that yoga still was so impactful for me, regardless of this experience um, or this person, that even in all that, there was many, many pieces of, of really good lessons, good or bad, however you want to label them. Um, And I think I felt this hunger to to basically reclaim um, this piece of myself I had given away freely. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I'm going to claim that back, and that's not yours to have. And um, I'm going to figure out how that looks for me. I'm going to continue showing up so that I can share that with other people, which was the whole reason of why I wanted to do it. (laughs) The teacher trainings, because I was like, there's something here and I'm feeling it. And I want to share this with other people because maybe this would be the tool that would help them too. Because, um, my mental health when I found yoga was, was struggling, uh, probably the worst it ever has, at least thus far in my life. Um, to the point where I was like almost unable to hold down a job because I was just having random panic attacks Mm -hmm. (laughs) and can't work in a restaurant when that's happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so I think it was just to come back to the why, why did I do this in the first place? Why was this, um, why did I view this as something that was so important in my life and my path? Um, and that why had nothing to do with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think coming back to my why was really big and allowing myself time to heal and to process. Um, so that as I started to come back into it, I could find my footing because I know I was not the only one affected in that way. We all, I think some of the people have stopped teaching yoga altogether that were pretty involved. Um, some people have turned it into just like something really beautiful, um, their own scope of practice that they offer now. Um, but I think really it was just that I wasn't going to let one person claim something from me and I was going to reclaim that back. That's so beautiful. <laughs> That's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Um, just wrapping up is there anything that we that I didn't ask you or just reflecting anything else you feel important to say or needs to be said um I think just that 
if you or someone you know is experiencing these types of things to just be supportive and even if because you're not going to tell someone that they should leave they're going to have to come to that on their own accord and maybe they never will and I think there is an acceptance in that and that still being a support system is important even if Maybe they're in the cult or they're not. You know, that could be, um, you never know. Like, that could be night or day for someone. Um, Because I felt a lot of, um, honestly, hate (laughs) and anger towards the people that stayed. Mm. And I'm now in the place where if they want to leave, I'm here to support them in that. Um, Because I understand. (laughs) There's a part of you that understands why they're still there. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, it's almost easier to just stay because it really, to, to leave makes you have to look at your shit. Yes. <laughs> and Alone. it's more comfortable to be like, no, those are lies. I'm still in it. We're good. I have a community and I don't want to be alone. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to yep. be this alone. <laughs> oh. So I think just, um, yeah, just... Supporting or allowing support wherever that may be. So maybe you're the person with that, you know, that's in it and you're, you're not understanding why people don't see what you're seeing or whatever you're experiencing. Um, but let them still support you, you know, like don't shut everybody off just to stay in something and don't shut everyone off to leave something either. So I think that was a, a deep lesson for me because I pretty much lost my whole the whole community. I think there's one or two people I still talk to. Um, but other than that, like I lost that support and that was hard. So I just say yes, yeah, just letting that support show up where it does and how it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Wow, that's a big that's a big story. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yes. Um and I will put in the show notes if people want to contact you or reach out to you how they can do that. And mm-hmm. um, are you currently teaching yoga? Like, can people come attend your classes if they want? Um, publicly, um, I'm only teaching usually in the summer. I'll just do park yoga. Um, I've got my Instagram for my yoga. It's um, sacredflow underscore collective. So that's just like my little brand, I guess, whatever. Um, So that's where I'll usually post like my classes. They're usually like once a week at Liberty. Um, Every now and then I'll do like moon circles. Um, I'm just kind of in a pause right now with with that stuff. Um, Just kind of honoring that. Um, And then I do teach at a psychiatric hospital, but obviously that's um, not open to the public. I wish it was because people are always asking me like, well, how do I, how do I find your yoga? I'm like, every teacher is just different. Like you just kind of try different things out and find someone like, cause when people ask me what style I teach, I'm like, mine, sauna. <laughs> yeah. <Flow>. yeah. <laughs> um, just postures and breath. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where, where the publicly more in the spring and the summer that that can happen. 
Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to put your Instagram in the show notes and um, you guys can reach out to her through there. If you're local, you can attend her classes in the summer. And I just really thank you for your time, for your story. Thank you. Yeah. Once again, I'd like to thank Alyssa for her story and her time and her energy. It's not always easy to share our stories, but research does show that it gives us an opportunity to be retrospective of our experience and gain some more insight, which is really one of the main reasons why I offer this podcast is a way to share our healing stories and connect people with people, letting people know that what they are experiencing is not unique to them, that many of us have the same journeys that we have to work through and go through and heal from. If you feel like you have a short a story that you would like to share, please reach out to me and let me know. Let's have a conversation. Alyssa's contact information is in the show notes as well as how to find me. You can always find me on Instagram, Facebook. My website is leishanelson.com. I also just started a new Telegram channel where if you want to be in deeper contact with me and have closer connection, that is a great way to learn about attachment theory, the nervous system, somatics, womb healing, birth blueprints, all the yummy good things that lead to nurturing resilience. And always, I'm always offering one-on-one deeper work. If you feel called to work with me, please reach out and let me know and let's see if we're a good fit together. As always, I hope you have a very beautiful day. Mm